You're tuned into the October Recovery Podcast. My name is AJ. I'm not an addiction counselor, specialist, or professional. On this podcast, you'll hear discussion regarding 12-step recovery programs and how they have impacted our lives. However, the podcast is not a promotion or an endorsement of any 12-step fellowship as a whole. The opinions shared on this show are those of the individual speaker. If you or someone you love is suffering from addiction and needs help, call Recovery Centers of America, 1-855-487-9626. The email is recoverycentersofamerica.com. There you will find detox, inpatient, and outpatient services in Danvers, Westminster, Mass., Maryland, Pennsylvania, and New Jersey. Another recovery option is Banyan Treatment Center, started by pro skateboarder Brendan Novak. Locations are Pennsylvania, Chicago, four locations in Florida, and one in Wilmington, Massachusetts. Also, help with addiction can be found at Foundations Recovery Network at 1-877-714-1318. October Recovery Podcast, Episode 17. Headphones, um, just because it's like more wires. I mean, look at the mm-hmm. wires here. Yeah. <laughs> and I, so I watch the screen and I can see like how we're looking and how close we are. So here we are. We're live with Andrea. Hi, Andrea. <laughs> Hi. <laughs> Welcome to my garage. Thanks. And we just came from Wakefield and it's, um, man, that's, that's the place. Definitely. That is the place where I walked in and I sat in that back row and I was like, what the hell am I doing here? Mm-hmm. But I heard it. I heard it. I'm so grateful. And it wasn't like, it wasn't a lightning bolt. Mm-hmm. It wasn't um, anything profound. It was like all of it. Mm-hmm. Like I felt the fellowship. I felt the trueness. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. the realness. And I, I heard people talking about what, what I had. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, yeah. It's actually funny. I met Tony at the Monday night in Wakefield years ago. He's one of the first people I met. And uh, I think he's been suggesting <laughs> the Sunday morning beginners meeting to me for a long time. And I took that as beginners meeting. You know, like I, that was all I could hear, you know, and I was taking it personally because I still hadn't really opened up yet to the fact that I'm just another alcoholic who belongs in a meeting just like he does or could realize the fact that he's got over 20 years and he goes to it, you know, so I was taking it as this, this thing that I should do because I'm new and it it really, my thinking on that kind of kept me from even trying it. 
That's imagine so- that. <laughs> Just the word beginner. I was like, you're not going to tell me. Fuck you. That I'm a beginner. Yeah. Like, who I, are you? Now I'm definitely not going. And that's, that's so that is how I've been really my whole life. Mm-hmm. But, but that was, it made it very, very difficult for me at first to even stay in AA, let alone take a simple suggestion like that. I'm so glad you did because I, we'd love to hear you. I appreciate it. And today, I was like, um, oh, here's a good, I was saying to myself, here's a good suggestion. When she talks, pay attention to her. (laughs) (laughs) So there's your ego now. um, Yeah, great. (laughs) Okay, bring that head down. Yeah. (laughs) But no, it's good. It's good. You have an awesome message. And that's why, that's why I, I asked you to come. Like this for me, and you asked me before and I said, let's wait, let's wait, let's talk about this. Why do I do this? I do this. I don't know. It was like I was off work. Um, last November, I had mm-hmm. a surgery, and I was out of work. I, I wasn't working for like two months. Mm-hmm. I'm a fed. I work for FedEx, and uh, I was like, I had thought about doing this, and it just the timing wasn't right. Mm-hmm. Like, and then God, you know, put it on my plate. Mm-hmm. I went to YouTube. I'm like, how do you do a podcast? Blah blah blah. Learned about it. Did it on my iPhone. Recorded it in my Tacoma truck, the episode one, which if you listen to anybody, I apologize. <laughs> like, whew, it's loud and it comes in hot, uh-huh. but the message is there. Mm-hmm. Then I bought a couple mics, bought this mixer, and I do it because I feel like, remember the old speaker tapes? Have you ever heard? Of, yes. Ever, yep. They were cassette. Mm-hmm. Janine, you know Janine? My friend Janine sits in the yes, back Yes, I know Janine. Oh, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. She talks about. When she, when she came in here and sat with me, when she first came in, a fella gave her like five speaker tapes mm-hmm. to listen to when she wasn't able to get to a meeting. Yeah. And it just makes so much sense. And so for me, to answer your question finally, why do I do it? And to put a bow on that is because for me, hearing somebody tell their story or hearing a discussion about recovery scratches my itch that day. Mm -hmm. When I'm driving around in my FedEx truck and I put it on and I hear people talking about what I need to hear, that does it for me. Mm -hmm. So hopefully, um, well, if people listen and it does it for them, but you know, if we help one person today, we're we're on we're on the right track. Yeah, definitely. It's funny you say driving too. I <laughs> yeah. I think that's why a lot of people have suggested that I get something on tape, or you know, I I do have like the big book on a CD. Yep. Um, because driving is one of those areas in my life that is still to this day very very difficult for me, and it's difficult to get out of my head when I'm driving and, and my, my control stuff comes up when I'm driving, my fear big time comes up when I'm driving, I get angry and impatient when I'm driving. And so what I did for a long time was I would try to block out that time, at least a big chunk of my driving, which is on my way home from work. And I would try to always call another alcoholic during that time. And I do still do that pretty often, but that doesn't always, you know, somebody can't always answer. I, I can't have, you know, my sponsor every day at 4.30 to 5.30 p.m. on the phone necessarily. So it, it has been suggested to me, you know, that I listen to something something AA related while driving. So so this is cool. Yeah. So let's talk about it. So you have, I saw your car. So it, some of these new cars... Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Which I don't have, and I see that you don't have. The newer ones have the system where it's like you, your phone. 
are you aware of this? Like these new cars, we we just got a, a Toyota. Mm-hmm. We've had a van since 2004, and now my daughter's got her license, and she got the van, <laughs> and we got we got a new car, so mm-hmm. my wife can get to work. And you you get in your car, and you have your phone in your pocket; it automatically links. Yeah, I do. It's the Bluetooth. I do have that. Oh, you in do my have car. that. Yeah, I do. So this is what you do. Mm-hmm. So I'm gonna, sh- I'll show you, okay. and I'll tell you also today. So maybe somebody who's listening, on your phone, you just link it, and you go to the podcast or whatever mm-hmm. music, and then you just hit play, and you listen on your way home. Yeah. Is that? Do you do? I haven't done it yet. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, but yeah, I play. I, I, I can would help like you. To try it. Yeah, absolutely. I'll help you with that yeah. after today. Yeah. We'll take a look Thank at you. it. Thank you. Yeah. So um, let's talk about the beginning a little bit. Um, for me, I was saying this yesterday. Like, I didn't, you know, I was like, whatever. I grew up with booze around me. We, we socially drank. I drank, mm-hmm. I met my wife at a party in the woods in Danvers. That's mm-hmm. where we partied and we had a spot. And we called it the Orchards. And we had a nice spot on the hill because we could see three directions that if any cop car was coming, oh, yeah. we had it covered. <laughs> and we'd just grab our beers and run. Yeah. And that's what we did. Mm-hmm. And I was 15, 16, 17, 18, and then, you know, 19 fake IDs and then in bars. And then I was, that was just the way I did it. Yeah. But it wasn't, it wasn't an issue until it, you know, like they say, until it became one. And yeah. I, I didn't, I didn't know the switch. I didn't see the switch when it happened. Mm-hmm. And, um. But it happened, and eventually, booze started running my life. I couldn't live without it, mm-hmm. and it was definitely taking place of uh, anything. Mm-hmm. And it was eventually going to. Um, it was like a solvent. It was going to rub, rub away, and make all things that I love disappear. Mm-hmm. And when I decided that it was done, it was just it was one night. Like that's my story. Mm-hmm. One night, I came to the end. I had a big jug of oh, I don't know, vo. I don't even know what it was. A big brown bottle up to my mouth, and mm-hmm. my wife walked in, and that was the end for me. But um, you know, the 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 bottom line there is that for me, my drug of choice is alcohol, and um, you know, it started running my life at the end. Mm-hmm. You know, and I am, you know, you say you're an addict, alcoholic. Is that how you are? I identify as an alcoholic. Okay, yeah, just an alcoholic. Yeah. Yeah, and so, I used drugs alcoholically, <laughs> lots of them. But I, wait. I know in my core that I, I am just a garden variety alcoholic. Okay, you know, it, it just so happened that that the timing and the place and and the people that I was around, I, I happened to do probably more of the other substances overall. Um, are you co- like? I don't know if you're comfortable or not. This is not AA. Mm-hmm. And I have had um, people in here who've talked about heroin, mm-hmm. who've talked. So, I I like talking about drugs. I don't yeah. know if you're comfortable talking. Oh about yeah, that I mean, or... I tell my truth no matter where Perfect. I am. So I I don't really. Um, I know that some AA meetings have you know their own issues with that. It's never really been a problem for me. I've kind of learned how to say it in a way that's respectful to you know where I am depending on or I'll ask first like if I'm asked to speak at a meeting and tell my story I might just pull someone aside who goes there often and ask them first you know and then half the time I'll just say alcohol and um like for me I might be talking about a different specific substance at that point in my story um and and it's not lying because like for me 
I have learned I, I can't take one of anything in safety. So it, it really, I kind of have to put them all in the same category. Mm-hmm. And, and so that's how I've done my recovery. And that, that's how I, you know, when I finally started to identify an AA, which for me, I identify an NA too, don't get me wrong, but AA has worked better for me for a longer period of time. So that's just what I do. Um, and then I, I did, I actually heard from somebody else that they did drugs alcoholically and that, that clicked in my head. That made sense to me when I started to learn about the disease a little bit more and how it affects me. Um, the substance itself didn't seem to matter as much. So, hmm. okay, this is interesting. <laughs> and I want to hear, I, I want to talk about this. I want to hear your story though. So when you say that it's not clicking with me because so when you did drugs alcoholically, like say you were doing coke, I, I don't know what you were saying, mm-hmm. what you were doing, but say the drug was X mm-hmm. and you did it alcoholically. What differentiates that from saying you're an addict to that drug? Does that make sense? Yeah. I mean, well, for me, like I said, I, I, I didn't used to call myself an alcoholic. I didn't used to, at first I, I had everything else under the sun, <laughs> you know? And so I had a lot of, and I mean, it would probably make more sense if I just tell it along with my story Let's hear because it. it's kind of, you know, when I, I didn't really start drinking until a little bit later, um, or drugging. I, I hadn't taken anything until, um, late for people that I know, but it wasn't really like late in life or anything like that, but I was in my late teens. Okay. And, um, so up until that point though, I had a lot of very unhealthy ways of dealing with life and just a lot of depression and, and fear that I didn't understand why I had it. And, um, I was, I was screaming out for help by the time I was nine, 10, 11 years old, way before I ever drank. Mm. Um, so I was suicidal, you know, before I ever drank that young. I, yeah, pretty young, pretty Mm. young. Yeah. I had a lot of other unhealthy coping mechanisms that kind of developed today. I call them just, you know, learned patterns of behavior, things that I did to try to escape the way that I thought and felt. I could totally Um, identify with that. Yeah. And I just hadn't drank yet. So, (laughs) wow. Yeah. So by the time, so like I had eating disorders, I had like one year it was, um, really crazy, like OCD type of behaviors. And then, you know, the next year it was, you know, my weight and food and obsessing on that. I always had an obsession and I always, and this is all looking back in hindsight, by the way, I did it's not like I knew at the time sure. that, that I was doing anything to fill any void or anything like that, but that is what was happening. Right. And, um, so the way that I came in was kind of by accident because I had years of therapy and inpatient psychiatric hospitalizations, um, from the time I was pretty young, I was still an adolescent. So I, I hadn't drank yet still at that point. And, um, I was already kind of I was becoming very used to that world of, of, you know, I knew something was mentally wrong with me. Um, my parents were just completely trying every way that they knew how to try to help me. Um, they knew that something was wrong with me beyond just regular growing pangs. You know, it wasn't just regular growing up stuff. I, I had something, something really up. dark, you know, and just, I was really, really miserable and they could tell that, um, from a pretty young age and there wasn't really anything external going on, um, that I can even remember 
certainly not from them no um to make me feel that way it was just how i felt wow you know on the inside from the time i was really really young so did you have siblings i have one sister she's one year older than i am we're very different um I compared myself to her a lot growing up and I thought she had gotten the book on life when she was born and I just didn't get one. Like I, she appeared to me from my perspective to be very happy go lucky and, and able to just kind of flow through life. And, and, you know, she, she had friends that, you know, she was able to connect with and, and just all that regular stuff. And, and school wasn't this obsession for her. It was something that she could do and just be an average student among average students. Whereas for me, I had to be the best or I was the worst, you know? So, yeah. So I I had very black and white thinking very, um, and again, like I said, I would obsessively, I threw myself into other things. Some of them were healthy things. School was something that got me out of my head and and I did well in school growing up, yeah. you know, yep. and, and I was obsessed with it and okay. I was obsessed with being early for class and, and all that stuff. Not that there's anything inherently wrong with that, but obsessive now behavior. I realize, yeah. yeah, that it was, it was part of my obsessive behavior, my, my inability to kind of just be a, a person among people, you know, and, and I had to stand out somehow, you know, mm. whether it was for positive or negative. And this is all before I drank. So when I drank and it solved the way that I had been thinking and feeling my whole life, um, there was just nothing stopping me at that point, you know. So up until that point between adolescent and when you first started to use other things, 18, 19 or whatever, mm-hmm. and I, I do – and. This is going to sound sick. I love talking about mental illness because mm-hmm. nobody friggin' talks about it. Yeah. It's like the big elephant in the room, yeah. you know? But um, it's getting much better. The yeah. awareness is definitely out there. Like, obviously, we're talking about it. But um, my, it's in my family. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, I, it's just, it's just mm-hmm. part of my story. Yeah. And I say, um, <clears throat> I like to talk about it because... That those feelings that we go through, like I don't ever, I, I don't want anybody to be hopeless. Mm-hmm. I, I don't like that is the that's the worst. Mm-hmm. Depression, suicidal. I I I I had suicidal thoughts. I never was gonna take action on it. Mm-hmm. But that is not a good. That's not good progression. Right. Because it it was gonna get worse. Right. So. It's it's important that we talk about mm-hmm. mental illness. You so between those times of adolescent and you were diagnosed with mental illness. All from, types of different yep. things, yeah. So bipolar would, disorder, medication wasn't um, working. Or? It it was the biggest thing that everybody, including the doctors in my family and and everybody around me, thought was going to help. Yeah. Of course, you know, because mm. again. And I'm going to keep saying this was all still before I drank. So there was no, you know, nobody was saying, hey, maybe she just needs to go to AA, you know, at that point yet. And I, you know, today, because I I really have to kind of keep it on today with as far as all that goes, because today I know that for me, there's no chemical solution to what I have. And that's not 
the same for everybody. That's right. Um, for me, it was there was a period of time where certain meds probably did help, um, you know, along the way. And, you know, I probably needed them for while I was on them. I, I, I can't really go back and say, well, if I hadn't, you know, I could coulda, woulda, shoulda it all day and say, you know, maybe if I hadn't been on meds for as long or, or if this had happened then instead of at that time, um, I mean, I can do that all day long, but at that time, like I have symptoms that match up with, with all types of different mental illnesses. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, I was, I was showing these symptoms. The doctors and my parents were trying their best to help me. Um, and a lot of that was, like I said, inpatient hospitalizations. Um, I was put on a lot of mood stabilizers. That was most of what I was put on because I was told that I had bipolar disorder. I had very high manic, manic highs and, and really, really low depressive lows. And um, and in the meantime, I, I just had, you know, even like on a day where I was somewhere in between, um, I I was unapproachable. Like I, I just was miserable. I just felt like really blank and empty. Mm-hmm. So um even during those times when, when things probably did help me for a little while or, or kind of help me just to manage for the time being, um, when I finally drank alcohol and, and it was the ultimate solution to everything that I had thought and felt for so long, um, the progression of my drinking was very, very fast because there was nothing, nothing had ever made me feel okay in my skin the way that that first buzz from booze did. Hmm. So that picture is wow. Yeah. That that that's that's quite a picture that you've painted and thank you really so much for mm-hmm. sharing. It's 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 awesome. And nothing worked until you got like that's crazy because not to me at least I didn't feel okay until I drank. So to others, you know, it probably looked like certain things were helping, and I was managing, and I was doing well in school, like I had said. And so there was a lot that, you know, and to the untrained, like my parents are just they they love me, I love them, they're wonderful parents, but they don't have any understanding or background of mental illness or alcoholism. So. and you know, it's so tricky. Like I'm familiar yeah. with the the um um when you're choosing medication and you're in that spot where you're trying to figure out what mm-hmm. works if something's gonna end up working. Mm-hmm. It's a tricky it's a tricky area. It's a yeah. finesse it's a finesse area. So um yeah, it's interesting that I was um I was an ECT patient for like five or six years. What is ECT? I was getting electroconvulsive therapy, which is what they used to call shock treatments. Mm. Wow, um, Andrea. Yeah. So mm. I, I mean, I was pretty much, they only give those to people that are like the most hopeless out of those in patient in the psych ward. So that that's pretty much how low, you know, to kind of put a picture on where I was at. And it's only after, you know, <laughs> medication it does not work. It's that's, that's when they say, you know, let's try ECT for you. And even then most people only get, I think the average, at least back then was between like 12 and 20 treatments total. Um, and I was getting like three or four a week for well over a year. Uh, Does it hurt? What's it like? I mean, they put you under general anesthesia. Oh, okay. 
Um, they, you know, it, it is electricity. Yeah. It's, it's, you know, on either temple and, you know, it does induce a seizure throughout your whole body. Um, it was, how to explain my experience with ECT? It, it definitely did help. Um, it raised the bar a little bit of, of where my depressive lows were, were getting to. Is that the goal um, for it? Yeah, to- basically, like, it, it is mostly a treatment for depression, yeah, and, and or um, other mood disorders, too. It's, um, it's still sort of something that is being researched a lot, and even the doctors, like, you know, even back when I was getting it, which in the grand scheme of things was not that long ago, um, they didn't really have an answer to how it worked or why it was helpful. Um, it just, it worked well for a lot of people and patients that they had considered almost completely hopeless and it, and it did help a lot of people. So, so I was, well, I mean, at that point I was going to try anything, you know, and your parents were were amazing. Like, wow. They tried everything that they possibly could. I mean, and not to mention that they, um, have had my daughter since she was born as well. Cause I was very, very sick still at the time that I had her. Um, so like along the way in the mix of all the stuff with the mental health and, and coming in and out of psych wards and all that. And I had tried alcohol and drugs again, like around 18 or so, however old I was, mm-hmm. um, the progression of, of that taking over my life and me no longer caring about trying any other way, to feel better and and all I cared about was my next drink and my next drug so that was extremely fast progression it it immediately um took over like every decision that I made um I was fed up with with people trying to help me at that point I was fed up with like definitely being you know feeling institutionalized already at, at a pretty young age and um and I I did go to college uh I went to Marist College in Poughkeepsie, New York. I was there for like two years. I studied abroad in Australia. Um, I I did a lot of things that I had planned and wanted to do. Um, So there was some like will to live in me still. And and I never really was able to say that out loud before all the other times that I've told my story until it's actually weird because last night I was asked to speak at a meeting and that came up. And as I was talking about, cause I used to always say, well, I had no will to live. I had already written myself off by the time I was like 18. Cause I just wanted to die. I didn't want to feel the way I felt anymore. Nothing was working. And, and I was just all set with it. And, um, that is how I felt, but I did have a little bit of will to live still in there else. I wouldn't be here now talking about it. So, so when you stopped, when you stopped therapy, Mm-hmm. and started your own therapy mm-hmm. what did that look like did you tell your parents i'm done with it yeah or did you um, fake doing it or well how did pretty that much transition go they were the first people to just be out of my life completely because they were my biggest supporters and they were my biggest um you know people that i would go to for help and and call and check in with and and they would call me and see how I was doing when I was first away from home when I was in school and stuff like that and and I immediately you know when I started to need alcohol and drugs and and not care about anything else anymore I anyone who was rooting for me I I had to not talk to them anymore 
I had to not talk to them anymore because I something in me knew like anything healthy, anything good that you had to offer to try to see how I was doing or, or help me, you know, manage better or anything like that. I You were just the first thing. You were just in my way mm. at that point. And mm. so, um, and again, this is in hindsight. I, I didn't, I wasn't able to articulate that. I didn't know that that's what was happening, that I was pushing people out of my life who were trying to help me. Um, but that is what I did. So like staying in touch with them was one of the first things to go. Um, and like very quickly, I, I didn't care anymore about taking care of myself, my hygiene, um, even being indoors. Like I wouldn't, I wouldn't care if I had drugs and alcohol with me. I didn't care if it meant, um, sleeping outside you know, I, I didn't drink socially ever. I, I don't know what a social drink is. Hmm. Um, if I drank socially ever, it was by accident. <laughs> it was because other people happened to be there. Mm. And at the time, all I cared about was getting enough for myself to get completely um, into oblivion. So when you found when you found the substances, did, did were your parents? So your parents were still thinking that. Like, did it end? Did your therapy end? And it was like, okay, you're at a good spot now. Like, you know what I mean? Did your therapy? Did they? Help no, you no, to they an were still trying they, to so to they, get me to go. They they still wanted. So, and my mother to this day, actually, it's it's funny because the way that I speak now about myself and my recovery is very different than it was even two years ago, five years ago. You know, it, it evolved into me knowing that, um, you know, for me, the solution to my problem is spiritual and it is about, um, what I've been taught in AA and it's not about meds and it's not for me, at least for right now, it's not even really about going to see a therapist. It's about talking to other alcoholics on a daily basis, but that took time to kind of unfold into that. And so back then when my mother and father was still trying to really help me, um, they were very, very worried about me not being, um, in having a, a network. Really, I had like a network of doctors Got most it. of the time up until that point. And then, and then I just like kind of disappeared altogether off Got the it. map. So they were very, very worried about me. Did you physically disappear? Like, are we talking, you were at Marist and then this happened? Like, I'm just trying to. Yeah. I mean, I wasn't really around them physically much so either. I yeah, and and I didn't even like come home for holidays or anything Got anymore. It. Like so like right happened. away, like I I was pretty much off the map. Freshman, you year. know, yeah, yeah, yeah. Did you? So how did the first, How did you find the book? Did you just go to a liquor store with a fake ID? I mean, somebody must have brought it to you, or drugs, or like how did? I don't know. I'm just trying to. I don't do you remember. remember. Yeah, I don't it just remember. That quick. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. I don't remember. It yep. was. I think I remember buying some weed um, before I had even gone to school. So it was probably like the summer in between. Yeah. And and I smoked weed for the first time. And other than that, as far as how did I that got do it things, for you? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Any any substance that's going to change the way that I think and feel has always worked for me. I have my preferences, <laughs> um, but if if as long as it's not an Andrea sober pill, I'm I'm going to take it. I didn't even question what it was, you know. So there was a really fast progression of of me and I started hanging out with different people mm -hmm. you know and I started to once I started to really not care and, and be outside and on the street and stuff like that I mean you can kind of find what you're looking for in a very scary way but yeah when you say that were you on the street at school 
Is that what you're saying? Or you drop I mean, out of school? Or did so you- for part of it, so it's funny, like, because I, I talk about being, like, homeless in college, and people go, well, wait, what does she mean? <laughs> yeah, I, right. I had periods of time where I was taking classes and somehow showing up for them and doing okay in them and drinking and drugging like crazy Got it. constantly Got and it. and yeah sleeping outside sometimes and then still just kind of well I have a class to get to and and then in a couple hours I'll be you know back to smoke some more crack with you like it was it was just this chaotic cuz I had like one not even a whole foot I won't even say I had like one foot in the in the be healthy still area you know but I had that little bit of will and I, I had something or somebody that I hadn't tapped into yet. Some energy was helping to kind of carry me and, and shape me a little bit. And cause otherwise I wouldn't have, like, I look back and I'm like, how did I graduate from college? Like I, it took longer than four years. Don't get me wrong. But, um, there was such a chaotic mess of like times. And there were times when I was doing okay too. There was times when I was doing okay where I was, you know, sober and and at school and doing it sort of the right way quote unquote and and I was miserable (laughs) but I I was doing it in somewhat of a healthier way and then there was times when I was just a complete mess and and somehow I managed to to um even get by somewhat during those times during those years at college did you come home at one point and your parents were like what the hell happened to you was there one of those stories so I did two years at Marist and then um that was the summer in between those two years was when I I came back and actually the last the last semester of that was when I was in Australia so and that had been sort of planned and I had worked to to you know work toward that like that was make money yeah yeah and and that was something that I had been planning since I was like 16 I, I wanted to do that I wanted to spend a semester there and that I must did have been so sick. It, it probably was probably I don't <laughs> I don't I always talk about, about how it. well nowadays I I because I know that someday if I want to and I work for it I can go back there again because I have a second chance at life now you know so it, it is kind of it, it's a little sad and sometimes I, I tear up a little thinking about it um, but I have everything's open to me now you know what I mean so it, it doesn't have to be this huge loss I I met a girl when I was in Australia I met a girl who drank and drugged the way that I did and um, we used to just sit on a sheet in the middle of broad daylight in the middle of campus on like a Tuesday afternoon or whenever and just drink and smoke and make fun of everybody who was going to and from class and living their lives and and we thought like how miserable that looked and that we just knew how to do this life thing you know so much better than they did and um I think about her a lot actually you know what I mean she was from there she's from Sydney yeah yeah so I wherever I go I find somebody that kind of either drinks more than I do so that I don't look as bad next to them or, you know, wants to live the lifestyle that I, either that or I'll do it alone. It, I'll do it alone anytime too. But, um, so that was your last semester. Yeah. So that was that. And home. I came home and, um, a few months later I, I had met a guy that was also an addict and an alcoholic. Um, and we thought it was a brilliant idea after like a few months of dating to like get a family started, 
you know, and that that was that was going to fix. Yeah, I think it was my idea. I'm pretty sure. Um, it's all yeah, a little foggy all now, yeah, but yeah. um, yeah, but I did. I I don't know, and I don't know where that thought came from. And at the time, all the way, you know, going back as far as I can remember, I I don't remember ever believing in God. By the way, just to kind of this goes with what I was you know saying about my daughter and everything like that. But I didn't know. Like I, I believed people when they believed, you know, I, I kind of like, I believed my father when he, he's, he's Catholic, you know, and, and I can, this, I feel something when I see the way that he behaves and the way that he prays and, and relies on God. And, and I, I always kind of wish that I was able to have that. I, I never could feel it for myself. I, I understood somewhat like intellectually and I, believed him when he spoke the way he did about God. Um, but like now it's funny cause even like a year ago telling my story, I, w- I would never really be talking about God, you know? And, and now when people say, well, what happened next or, or, you know, what, what made you come into AA in the first place or, or what changed? And I start talking about my daughter and how I have this thought to, to actually have a baby on purpose with this person that I, had really just met who was just as sick as I was, if not sicker. And, um, somewhere that thought came to me that like, I, I should have a child and like, it sounds crazy and it was, but, um, she was a huge part of, of my saving grace. Honestly, like she being pregnant with my daughter was the first thing that got me to look at my life a little bit differently than I had up to that point. And I'm not saying that I changed all my behaviors right away or anything like that. I didn't even get sober right away, but I, I had this tiny little bit of willingness. And then I had this, this extra sort of um, incentive to do something differently. So, so when I became pregnant with her and, and those two loving parents that I keep talking about, you know, who were right behind me the whole time. And, and they were like, what just happened to you over these past couple of years? And they finally saw me in the condition that I was in. And then I, I went to them and said, I'm pregnant. Um, that's That was a huge, you know, kind of shift in, in a lot of ways with as far as how they interacted with me how they what what they were going to stand for at that point versus you know and I I've always gotten tough love from them like I I, that's how they that's how they do it you know what I mean but um but this this was like a whole new level of you know I remember my mom saying to me like even if you're not willing to change just for yourself you know as far as dad and I are concerned we're gonna do whatever we have to do to to look out for that baby because it's not her fault and I was mad, you know, I was like, how dare they? But, huh. um, yeah. So you felt like you were being parented about being a parent. Yeah. Kinda? Yeah. And I didn't know anything. Well, that was yet, your personality I, though. Yeah. Too. I, I'm very how stubborn. You yeah. Mm-hmm. Say that you're going to take care of my kids. Yeah. Yeah. Th- I had no ability to just say, Oh, thank you. Our That's brains, really nice right? of you. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. I had no ability and I took everything personally and I, the stuff with my mom runs really deep and, and it goes as far back as I can remember. And we've always kind of butted heads and I've always felt like she, and this is all kind of new stuff too that's coming up now that I have always kind of felt like she would never approved of me she was never proud of me I never nothing I did was ever good enough um because she she was very much um 
like I said, the tough love thing. Um, but it, it might've been a little too tough for me in, in some areas, you know, and I was just an emotional, sensitive kid. And just from a young, young age, it was, you know, we weren't even allowed to like kick back and relax on Saturday morning and watch cartoons. It was like, you got to be doing something all the time. Um, work ethic, like almost to the extreme, you know, and, and I never felt like I was good enough for my mom. They so sound then, like overachievers. A little it? bit, a yeah. little bit. My yeah. mother actually identifies as an alcoholic as well. And she um, she did drink heavily for a long time and, and she quit drinking about 10 years ago. Um, and she does not do AA, but, but she did quit drinking and, and she's kind of made a lot of changes in her life as well. So she does kind of have what I call the ism, you know, and she was a workaholic for sure. Um, and there was never any, like, we didn't, you know, sit down and talk about our feelings when I was growing up, you know what I mean? And I, I really believe that I kind of needed that. And it was something that I, that I didn't get and that's okay, you know, but it did kind of feed into, to my, my issues a little bit too. So that's great. Uh, the talking about, yeah, with kids, I mean, we don't know how mm -hmm. to bring up kids right. and there's right. a shelter there if you want oh, something, thanks. but um, yeah. I said to my daughter, well, a couple of weeks ago, something was going on and she got pissed. And I was mm -hmm. like, Maddie, I have never done this before. This mm -hmm. is the first time I'm being a dad to a 17-year-old girl. Help right. me out. Like, I'm just trying to do the right. best that I can. Right. But uh, I'm able to talk about it today. Mm -hmm. at my, at my, and I'm not, please, I'm not saying this to say I do it perfectly because obviously I don't. Mm-hmm. I make it a point now because I can, because I'm sober and I, people know for a while they didn't, but now they do. And I'm com I got to a point where I was comfortable with that. And I'm so grateful I did. I didn't tell my, my kids that I was going to AA for like three, four years because they were younger and mm -hmm. it just didn't seem right. And then when I did, it was like came organically one day and it was awesome because now at dinners we talk about coke we talk about pills we talk about vaping we talk mm -hmm. about smoking we talk about drinking wow. we talk about sex yeah. and it was uncomfortable at first i say this of because course. if anybody's listening mm -hmm. like you just said um you know sometimes i guess we can talk about a little parenting on this well, podcast yeah. you know yeah. from my experience because it may help somebody i'll put it this way if I was over at that field watching my kid play baseball six years ago, I would have had a red solo cup filled with vodka. Mm -hmm. And I sure as shit wasn't going to be talking about alcohol abuse at the dinner table. Mm -hmm. So I'm so grateful that I came to the point. I found AA. And, and, and I can have these conversations yeah. right now. Because really all I have right now for them is my experience right. and um, my role model, like what I can be for a role model to them. Mm-hmm. They see me not drink. They see me living a pretty healthy life, making healthy choices. They see me fuck up, mm -hmm. but they see me apologize. Right, exactly. So this, you know, you talk about being at the dinner table. I don't know that got me on that tangent yeah. about your mom and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, well, it was it was tough. I, I didn't know. I thought it was wrong to like communicate how I was thinking totally. and feeling from a young age, and and you know having that open line of communication and I remember the first like therapists that kind of got me to open up when I was young I was like 12 or 13 those are like important years too and and I was having a tough time and you were able to though tell I the was truth. able to that's, and that's and I but I remember even asking him I, I think it was a yeah it was a guy therapist and, and I opened up to him a little bit and um 
I remember asking, because at the end of the session, this is one of my first sessions with the person, and he said, do you have any questions? You know, And I said, well, yeah, how come I have to come to you to talk about this? How come I can't just talk to my mom and dad about this? Because even at that age, like I, I really felt like um, I was angry with them for not being able to nurture that part of me that needed to be nurtured. I was angry that I had to go seek somebody else for that. And and today I look at it very, very differently. I, I have a little bit of an understanding, like you said, of the fact that parents don't, you know, we're just imperfect people who were never taught and the, your children don't come with a handbook, you know, and, and however you were raised and your experiences and where you're at in your life and your perspective and all that stuff comes into play when you're learning as you go, basically we just learn as we go as parents, how, how to communicate with your children. But, but what I've learned is to try to keep an open line of communication, no matter what, um, as, to the best of my ability with my daughter now, who's 10 now. Um, Good for you. And it's difficult. Like I, I don't, sometimes I still don't feel capable um, because I am not raising her. My parents are raising her. So um, I'm in her life and everything like that. But sometimes I still I, I, I feel very um, incapable of, of being a good mother because I have this thing in my head that tells me that if she doesn't live with me, then I'm automatically not a good mother. And that is not the truth. Nope. Not true. So not true. But can we talk about can yeah. we back up? So you yeah, had, we can back yeah, up. So you had yeah. your baby. You met this guy. Yeah. Yeah, and, you, and you I were like, you were using, you were drinking. Yeah. Were you on? The, did you have a place together? Did you have a? No, so we were with my parents. Oh. Um, and at first they were willing to kind of give it a shot with having us all live there, at least while I was pregnant. That was that was kind of the deal because he he comes from a very very rough home, and his parents were both addicts as well. Um, so at the time. And I, I can't even imagine how they felt, you know, and their willingness to do that and try to work with us. It, it comes from that. It's very, very powerful mm. for me now. It's something I'm really grateful for. At mm. the time, I, I couldn't really see that because um, I was just caught up with myself and, totally. and how uncomfortable I was. But um, so they did. They they let us stay. I, there was, you know, I was not I did not drink and drug during the pregnancy. Um I wanted to with every fiber of my being. I, I wasn't ready to stop yet, um, but I was under my parents' roof, and, and I had, like I said, just that little bit of incentive of being that she, you know, it was a physical thing, you know, during the actual pregnancy. And so something in me, along with, you know, my parents being, watching me really closely and all that, um, kept me physically sober during my pregnancy and and I just thank God for that now because at the time I wasn't thanking God I, I wasn't I was just angry I was miserable I was uncomfortable but but that is how it played out and my parents were a huge part of that um wow. so you know she was born I was I had just turned 22 when she was born um and she was your baby healthy and beautiful and yeah and it, it's so funny you say that too because my parents were 22 when they had my sister and 23 when they had me and they were already married and and so I really thought wow like I need to get a move on in this growing up thing like I'm always comparing myself to somebody else so and 
again, going back to that whole, you know, never feeling like I had my mother's approval and all that, I felt like I was, I was late in life of, you know, just getting my shit together, really. And so, and the fact that she was able to do it at that age, so why shouldn't I be able to? And and I was unable to see like how sick and unmanageable my life was. And, and I just my head likes to do this thing where it puts like timelines on, on things like achievements, like by this age, you should have this. And, and by this time you should have done this. And, um, it's, it's not helpful to me at all, you know, but it's a very negative, you know, my thinking is very negative. It's very negative toward myself most of the time. Um, so I'm prone to, you know, compare myself to others and, and feel like because of where I'm at in my life at whatever age, if, if I'm not doing it the way that you were at that age, then, then I'm behind or I'm not doing it right. Um, so, I mean, thankfully I, I was able to, you know, have her somewhat healthily and, and, you know, again, with a team of people helping and with my parents helping. Um, and so she was born and they have had, you know, full legal custody of her since she was born. Um, which I fought for a little while in, in the beginning, because um, I'm stubborn, like I said. And were you living in their house? We were and still fi- all living together. Yeah, cust- so we were we were all living oh. together, um, oh. and in and out of being sober. So like the whole first year or so of my daughter's life, I, I was also in and out of, you know, treatment facilities at that time still. So. I had gone to a detox. I was in like a, not a psych, like a halfway house for a little while and then a sober house. And then I would go back out and drink and drug and then start the whole thing over again. So, but any times that I wasn't in, in a, you know, locked place like that, I was, um, I was at home and, and they were taking care of her and I was at home and, and on a good day I was helping out. And those days were few and far between. And and the whole time I was just complaining about, you know, they're helping me with her. Like you said, I, I, I couldn't wrap my head around the fact that they were doing it because somebody had to and I was not capable. And I couldn't hear that. I couldn't accept that. I was busy, um, well, mostly still drinking and drugging and also just, you know, fighting. I always want to fight you know, the, the people who are just trying to help me. That was, that was my, my thing. That was my ego today. I know that like your default. Like yeah. That was, your that default was a, just go-to. anger was my, always my default emotion. I didn't know that actually somebody pointed that out to me very recently, like be, from me doing this and just kind of talking about my story. Was and it they Deb? said, no, <laughs> actually it was, um, a woman that, um, um, going through the steps a woman who's helping you yeah yeah clearly telling you the truth yeah something i never knew about myself until very very recently and uh i've told my story lots of times you know and and until somebody it was unsolicited (laughs) it was someone that i barely knew that um but they could identify with what i was talking about and um you know, she came up to me, I think it was after a meeting actually. And she said, you know, isn't anger so much easier than sadness? And that was it. And she just like walked away and and we never really 
And I remember chewing on that and, and kind of leaving there and being like, what did she mean by that? And, and then I just, it dawned on me that part of the reason my go-to is anger, because I, I would, any given time, I would rather be mad than sad. And then cry in front of somebody and admit that I'm hurting and admit that I need help. Sadness was a vulnerability, you know, and it was like, it meant that, you know, other people were going to see how much I was hurting on the inside. And if I could just come off angry instead, you know, it really kept people at a distance for a while. You know what I mean? And it worked for a while in a lot of ways, you know, and, and with my parents, they, they probably, you know, suffered the most from it. And that particular time, my mother had had enough. She called the police. You know, she she wasn't going to allow me to behave like that anymore in her house and, and with the baby there and everything else. And and I had to be, you know, told what I had done. And um, I was arrested for assault and battery against my mother. Mm. So and, you hit her. Yeah. Because we lost that mm-hmm. part. Sorry about that. Yeah. Not no, to that's make fine. I don't remember it anyway, so I lost it too. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, so like, you had a fight. I had you to had be a, told. Yeah. You had a physical fight with your mom. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, Cops you know, came. so I was, I woke up in a cell, oh. you know, and I had no idea what had happened. And, um, so yeah, so that was another kind of, um, little mini turning point for me. I still, it's, I wish I could say I've been sober since that day, you know what I mean? And that I completely turned my life around just that day. But but it did um, strike me. It got me thinking differently. And, and it like I'm talking about it now. So it's obviously it was a huge part of my story. It was a huge part of helping me eventually get to the point of surrendering and, you know, really looking at the way that my making my own decisions was was hurting me not helping me and and then accept help so yeah surrender yeah yeah so that was a a step in the right direction absolutely yeah did did you go back to the house did you well eventually i think i think from that point is when i i went to um the maris center up in salisbury which is um a halfway house for women um and one side of it is for women in transition from jail which i didn't have to go to that side of it um i had to go to the other side which was just a halfway house you weren't allowed to leave um strict rules and you had to be sober obviously and um that was my first time there Mm -hmm. i've been there a total of three times Mm -hmm. Um, did you go there immediately after the incident? Yeah. After that incident, that was when I went to the Maris and, um, did you, and I asked for women who may be listening or young women who, you know, maybe go through this. Did you have like a court date? You had a court date with a judge, right? Yeah. Um, it's all pretty foggy though. I, I wish I could remember the details of all of that. I, I really, really don't. Um, a lot of it had been told to me since then of how that went down. And, and I actually, uh, I talk a lot in AA about how certain aspects of my story and certain periods of time in my story have probably affected my mother in some ways worse than they affected me um, because she was the one sober and she was the one mentally aware and involved and trying her best to help me and, and raise my daughter at the same time. 
and she's very um, <laughs> sort of analytical and she's really big on lists and dates and spreadsheets. And, and I joke with people about how she probably has like an Excel spreadsheet with all the dates of the times of when Andrea was at this facility or that facility or or in front of this judge or, you know, when she was here or there. And, and I really don't remember a lot of the, the specific. And I just feel that I really firmly believe that my higher power has been very merciful toward me in that area, because I think there's a lot of things that I'm not ready to remember yet, you know, and some of them might be revealed eventually. Some of them might not. Um, there are things that have come up recently that I had forgotten about that now I'm, you know, from, from doing some work and staying sober and doing some writing and, and talking to people, um, that I'm like, wow, I can't even believe I forgot that whole like year of my life, or I forgot that that even happened. Um, and now, so things are revealed to me, I, I believe when they're supposed to be and when, when I'm ready to kind of face them. But, um, Ask healthy... my mom, you know what I mean? Like it, it was. That's so healthy. Yeah. That's great. So, all right. So the Marist house a couple of yeah. times. Yeah. I was there more than once. Um, yeah. They're, you know, they don't really mess around. If you break a rule, it, it's pretty easy to get kind of asked to leave that place. So what's the difference between a halfway house and a sober house? I mean, technically, I, I don't know what, what the actual separation is. I, I know that I've been to both and that for me, a a halfway house felt more like an institution, um, very strict rules. But the and door swings both ways. The door does swing both ways, but not, well, I mean, it depends. It depends if you're there through the courts and you're stipulated to stay. And that was sort of, like I said, the other side of the women in transition. A lot of them still had like the ankle bracelets on and things like that. Right. Yep. Um, and, and well, on my side, it, it was, I was stipulated in a sense that if you're there and you choose to leave you, you can't just like come back the okay. next day so yeah. it, it it's kind of the I same see. thing yes. so um they would say like yeah good luck if you want to leave Understood. um but but you can't just come back well and, it's kind of like a de the detox yeah you know up the yep. street mm -hmm. you can leave yeah but right yeah. they're I mean, not gonna you take come, you right back the yeah, next day or right anything right 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 no, yeah Whereas okay. a sober house is, is, you know, you pay rent and, and you, you live there. Right. Like you, it's like you rent a room and you have to, um, pass a drug test. Usually it's every week or something like that. Got it. And there are some rules, but, but there's a little bit more leeway and, and you, there's like curfews and you don't have to always tell them exactly where you're going when you go out. Um, mm. whereas when I was at the Maris, like we really only went out like as groups, like with a staff person, like two meetings. Yeah. And that was pretty much it. So okay. that's that's my memory of yep. that. But um, so what so what yeah. happened when you finally left there? When you kind um, of, and, and was it willingly or did you get the final time? Was it kicked out or did you leave willingly? I mean, or do you? you the first foggy. time I was there, well, it's a little foggy, but yeah. I I know that the because I was there three times. You know, I, I can piece together <laughs> and know the fact that the first two times that I left there, I, I wasn't ready to leave yet. So I might have thought that I was ready to leave or had something lined up. I, I know that one of the times I went straight to a soba house for a while in Amesbury that was very close to this facility where a lot of girls went from point A to point B and kind of stepped down to there. But I've also been in that particular soba house three different times. So, um, you know, this was another little few years of kind of 
being willing and then not being willing and, and, you know, being in a place and thinking that I was going to stick it out for a long time and then, you know, leaving. And then if things didn't line up the way that I thought they would, or I couldn't, you know, I wanted the outside stuff back right away too. Like I wanted a job, I wanted a car, I wanted like regular visits with my kid. Like I, I wanted all of that stuff. I So I wasn't really doing any of the, the inside work, you know, like I, I was willing to show up at meetings and that was helpful. Don't get me wrong. Um, but at the end of the day, like if I didn't see results quickly enough, the results that I wanted, I, I was really quick to just go back and, and drink more, yeah. you know? So that's why I, I always say it was kind of a, a really messy, foggy period where I don't actually remember dates and specifics, but I know that I was in and out of willingness really sure you know to live differently so and you know you say that you wanted results asap mm-hmm. quickly to see it. and that's that's the other bitch i mean that's you know i mean it's tough sobriety is it's 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 tough to do because mm-hmm. of a million reasons and one of them you just said is you have to be patient on mm-hmm. top of all of it right like you have to be willing to be patient and right. it's like that's the last thing you want right. you want to feel better today right i'm working with somebody now who's new who's been asking me for help and, and she's wonderful, you know, and, and she's helping me more than I'm probably helping her. And she's I don't know if she woman. realizes it or not, no. but, um, and she's currently in a program and, and I won't say her name or yeah. anything like that, but, um, nope. she, you know, she sounds just like me when I, she has like just over three months sober in a program that she can't wait to get out of. And, um, she sounds so much like me and she, she asked me straight up, like, how long do you think it's going to take for me to get a car again and get get this and get that and 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 see my son more and I just want my son back and I want this back and I want that back and I hate having to say to people but it's the truth it's just first of all it's different for everybody you know some people do get some of the outside stuff back pretty quickly and um if they can handle it that's great for them I was the type who when I did get stuff back in my life um I started to put it in front of my recovery right away. So, cause even through all that chaos of the times that I was in and out, I, you know, I put together two and a half years at one point. Um, my daughter was still pretty young. This was up till she was like five. And I thought that I was all better. Like I, I was working, I had finished college, like I said, by some miracle, um, and I, I was driving and I was seeing my daughter regularly and I had a little bit of money in my pocket and I, I was, um, I think I was even renting a room for a while. Like, so I, I kind of felt a little bit more capable of being somewhat independent. And I, you know, the idea of going to the same amount of meetings that I had been going to w- was just crazy to me. It was crazy to me. I was, I was too important now to do that. I was too busy and, and, you know, this thing that I have is, is really cunning and baffling and powerful. And, and I didn't see it coming that what I was starting to do was put the outside stuff in front of my recovery. And, um, you know, for me, what that looked like was going from going to two, three meetings a day to like two, three meetings a week, you know, and that happened pretty quickly. And then the next thing you know, 
you know, and, and I always talk about meanings because for me that, that really showing up really has been the heartbeat of my recovery. And, and so I have to kind of say that out loud often. I have to be in AA a lot. I have to be talking to other alcoholics and addicts very, very often for me to kind of stay grounded in where I'm at in my recovery. And so when I wasn't, when, before I really realized that, and when I thought that the outside stuff was a pretty good measurement to how I was doing, because, I mean, that's how society kind of looks at it, too. Car, you know, and you have, when you have your parents who, who don't really fully understand what you're going through, and they're saying you do better than you've ever done, and and so even they were like, you probably don't need to go as often, you know, like, even, even they, and they don't know any better. It wasn't their fault, no. but um, I was getting a lot of... um sort of validation even even from others that I didn't have to you know put my recovery first anymore at least that's how I interpreted it you know and I was gonna um just run with that and and I the next thing you know I'm not in meetings at all anymore and I had picked up over things being good you know and that was a shock to me I I didn't know I had heard people talk about losing everything and, and, or the guilt bringing them back out or, you know, being broke or not having a job and, and drinking over that or drinking over a divorce or drinking over, you know, any of that stuff. For me, it was when things were good because I thought that I, that meant I was all better, mm. you know, so I was trying to explain to this girl who's new, who I'm working with now that, you know, there's really no timelines on that stuff. And if you work from the inside out instead of the other way around it it tends to work out better mm. you know and but to say that to somebody who's just 3 months sober and just has a you know clear vision in her head of how she wants things to go yeah. it's really really difficult i don't know how much of that she'll be able to take i hope that she's able to to you know understand it but yeah it's changing the mm-hmm. like tony was saying today it's changing your, the whole way your brain right. works which right. can be done like, it can be done. It can be done over time. For me, it's, it's been, been over time. Yeah. 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 So I love that point, picking up when things were good because they mm-hmm. were good. Thanks for making that because I hope somebody hears that. Yeah. And so things were good. So you you did. Mm-hmm. And then how long did that go and where did that take you? Um. So, yeah. So that was after having like two and a half years. It was a shock to myself and everybody around me. Um. I it started innocently enough just like it had started the first time actually it was a joint I think it was weed and I thought that I could just socially do it because I never really had a period of time where I just could socially kick back and just do that and and I was doing a lot of my own thinking and I was because I wasn't in meetings and I wasn't talking about the fact that I was considering doing something like that um and I was around people who could do it socially and I was not around people in meetings as much. So it was very natural for me to just say, yeah, you know what? Like maybe I was unduly alarmed this whole time. Like maybe all that stuff from my childhood and, and all that mental illness stuff, you know, maybe that was really what it was. And now I'm a little older and, and like I'm better now mm-hmm. and, and I'm showing up for work and, and I'm showing up to the best of my ability for my kid. And maybe now once in a while on the weekends, I can smoke a joint, you know? And so that's what happens to my thinking. And, um, it was an awful, awful, like I would say about between like two to three months. Thankfully it wasn't that long in the big picture. Um, 
But pretty much immediately from when I first felt the effects of that joint, I think that very same night I was um, in Chelsea where I used to buy crack cocaine and smoke it. So, um, you know, like I said in the beginning, I I can't take one of anything in safety. I have my drugs of choice. um, And all I know about me is that my progression is going to be fast one way or the other. So whatever is available to me, whether if I don't have any money, you know, or if I'm right next to a liquor store, I probably would have gone in there first. You know what I mean? It's kind of like whatever was available to me because I have compulsions. So once I have a buzz on from something, anything, I'm going to want more of the next like strongest thing you got. That's, that's (laughs) within arm's reach that I can kind of get to. So it was really ugly. It was really fast. And and I was a daily drinker and drug user again, um, pretty much immediately. And, and thank God it only lasted a couple months. Um, and what happened during that couple months actually is my daughter's father passed away from this mm. and I did not, um, we weren't still together at the time. Um, I hadn't seen him in a long time. I knew that he was trying to the best of his ability to stay sober and to eventually, you know, kind of, see Elena again, my daughter's name's Elena, um, and kind of be in her life again if he was going to be able to. And, and he was trying. He was trying his best. He was very sick and suffering, alcoholic and addict. And he had actually just finished a program, too, um, that he had lived in for like six months. And um, he thought since he finished it, he could, you know, celebrate and like get high one more time, you know, and, and it took him out. So the way that that kind of played a role in me getting back to AA, I feel a little guilty kind of saying it like that. Like, like it took, you know, somebody else's death, somebody who I loved, who, you know, I was rooting for, you know, for me to kind of wake up and, and get back to AA. It was, it was really, really difficult. It was very sad. Um, my daughter didn't really remember him. Um, so in some ways that that made it almost maybe easier for her again i hate to say it that way but but it probably was um and yeah so i and i've been fully immersed in aa ever since you know and that was over 5 years ago mm. so yeah wow yeah you know thanks for, for I, <clears throat> it's it's unbelievable you know you hear you, you i'm just never surprised mm mm-hmm. Never surprised at, uh, like I said at the beginning of this. I mean, it just, it just the drugs and the alcohol. If you're an addict, it's, 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 it comes before anything, mm-hmm. I mean, even before water mm-hmm. or food. Yeah, I actually, you know? I just started drinking water like two years ago. So, <laughs> yeah, you know? there was no self care. There was no. no. It takes away our ability to to even want to take care of ourselves. You oh. know what I mean? Yeah, that's, completely. That's... So, um, I saw you. Yeah, I mean, I've I've been there since mm-hmm. since you've been coming around, and yeah. um, I've watched you grow <laughs> in the program for sure. Yeah. And I've seen you um do you, so do you have a regiment of meetings, certain meetings? I mean, I know you're at Wakefield every For the most part, yeah. Well, I have a few that I go to every week. Yeah. Um now the Wakefield Beginners one 
is one of those. Yeah. Um, Incredible. Because I finally <laughs> let the word beginners like not bother me as much anymore. My, my mind has opened up a little bit, oh, you know, I, and I, I try my best to kind of stay open and honest and willing that, that that's kind of my biggest thing these days so yeah. if if somebody that that knows me that has gotten to know me especially somebody who has seen me at my worst like tony um suggests that i might like a particular meeting i'll, I'll check it out you know and so i started going to that one i think back in like february or okay. so yeah um and then monday nights i still usually go to the wakefield one um tuesday nights i go to north reading okay that's, so that's your area yep yeah that's also a beginner's meeting that, ah. that i am pretty involved with i have a job with that group um nice. i have a home group that meets on friday nights in malden um that i try my best not to miss no matter what i go on commitments with them um have you ever done young people in melrose on wednesday night Yes, actually, I love that meeting too. Yeah, you would. Yeah, um, there's some of some. Of, I know some of those guys, um, and that's an awesome one. There's a lot of great meetings in Melrose. Yeah, there's yeah. a lot of great meetings in Mel. And as my schedule has changed and, and things like that, like throughout these past five years, I, I don't really. Um, I've had to change my meetings and meeting times uh, and locations pretty often. Yeah, that's but, good. Um, yeah, like the way that I do that is as long as I'm not subtracting. <laughs> Right. <laughs> you know, um, I love that. it's yes. if I'm replacing it with a different meeting that works better for me and fits better into my schedule that day, then that's where I go. I'll, I'll go to any meeting. That's you know what great, I mean? Yeah. That's a good one. Yeah. As long as you're not subtracting yeah. your meetings, your yeah. regiment. Yeah. The answer is never less AA for me. <laughs> it, it really just never is. Like when I think it is or I think I'm too busy or I'm feeling overwhelmed or, you know, I should be with my daughter more and this and that. And that, that's all valid stuff. Like I have a busy schedule. I'm in graduate school now. Um, I'm going for my master's in psychology. Like I I work full time at a job that I love. Um what and do you do? I, I work you... at a day program for folks with developmental disabilities. Okay. And it's um, it's really ironic because I'm in human services and I always thought I hated everybody, but um, I don't well, actually. But yeah, did. I did. <laughs> and I, I actually and it's so funny because my job kind of has it goes along with all the stuff that I'm kind of working on with myself. I have to be more patient. You know, patience is a huge part of my job. I have to be tolerant. I have to be open minded and, and be a good listener at work every day because I'm, I'm working with people who, you know, I'm there to serve them. And so it's it's just funny how the principles in AA have, have kind of spilled over into mm. other areas of my life. And sometimes it's a real struggle, you know, but I do. I love my job. Good for you. Yeah. Good. And the God, you know, I love how we talked about God. We covered yeah. that. And, you know, we we've had a quick conversation about, you know, agnostics mm -hmm. and we know agnostics. And there's a chapter in the book about yeah. it. Like, that book is brilliant. I was talking to my friend Chris today on the way over here. And the way we were we were talking about the fourth... Oh, like, we had, like, a spiritual thing mm -hmm. this morning, quick. Mm -hmm. And it's like, they put it perfectly, rocketed into the fourth dimension. It's like this fourth spiritual dimension. Sounds wacky, sounds weird, but it's just here. Yeah. It's, it's, it's around. Right. It's like, I love the way... I heard it, and it's like, you know, the the you know the, the 
Channel 5 news feed or WBCN news feed, BCN, uh, KISS 108 news radio signal is mm-hmm. going over our head right now, but mm-hmm. we're not tuned into it because yeah. we don't have a radio. Because we're not, right. But once we tune in, we will yeah. hear their message. And that's the willingness piece. Uh, I was always taught that. that it, are you just willing to believe in a power greater than yourself? Because that, that was all that I was told that I needed. And even as I really thought I was going to stay pretty much agnostic or even atheist for forever because that was how I felt for so long mm-hmm. and um when somebody just put it that simply for me like are you just at least willing to believe that like you 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 might be wrong about that you know and and then I became willing and that took time I, I think step two was the hottest step for me you know and I said that to somebody the other day and they're like really and I'm like well yeah I have such a you know, I, I just want to control everything. I, I wanted all the power to come from me. Like I, I was raised to kind of have really strong willpower too and, and and just figure things out on my own. And and that asking for help was a weakness, you know, and, and all that stuff. So even though, you know, my parents are religious people, but we never really had a, an open conversation about any of that. Mm. It was just, you, you got to accept it because it's in the Bible and like, that's it, you know? And there was not a lot of like, there was no room for me to kind of explore. So when it says a higher power of my own understanding, then I was able to kind of say, okay. And for me, it, it comes in a lot of ways. It, it's kindness. It's, it's, you know, it's people being willing to kind of just listen to me for a minute and me being willing to listen to them and kind of trying my best to be of service and to be, you know, grounded where I'm supposed to be that day and to just know and accept that my thinking isn't necessarily going to put me where I'm supposed to be that day. Like that's really, a lot of it has just been kind of getting out of my own way. And I spent, years even this time around like sober doing the best that I could listening to people talk about their experiences with spirituality and I spent a long time really overthinking the God thing and overly trying to define it and I wanted a a picture like I wanted to be able to put a face to this this power and and that kind of kept me disconnected I think and so when I was able to kind of take a step back and just breathe on it and, and just like let it come to me and I do, I meditate and I pray today. Those are new things for me, you know, and, and now it's like, it doesn't have to be this, this, this picture of, it doesn't have to be a religious God. It doesn't have to be anything like that. It's just, it's not me. And, and if I'm open and willing to kind of, you know, take things as they come and, and try to react differently to situations than I used to, that that's a power greater than me because that's somebody or something else, you know, helping to, to guide me. So it's really that simple, you know, and I overcomplicated the God thing for a long, I almost picked up over that because I really thought that if I couldn't, you know, picture God and have like a full understanding of God that I could write about or draw or, you know, describe to you perfectly then I was doomed so I was gonna drink and drug anyway so I might as well just do it now like that for a while I really thought like that hmm. and I don't anymore nice so Andrea yeah <laughs> 
I could go on and on about that subject, but I, yeah, <laughs> it's awesome. I think this is that's good. This is it. Mm-hmm. We we tried to get to, this is well, we finally did it. Yeah, we got together. I know. It's been, been a couple me. months. I know. And it's, it's, but what did we say at the beginning? I'll text you and yeah. when the time's right. The time's It'll right. Happen. But ironically, yeah. we didn't even text this morning. I know. We came. We went to the meeting, yeah. and I was kind of like, "All right, am I gonna do a podcast with Andrea today?" <laughs> at, 10 o'clock or am I going elsewhere? And it was, I said to you on the ride, it was kind of like, whatever, it's kind of corny, but it was kind of like, um, I felt like kind of pumped up that I didn't know which way it was going to yeah. happen. <laughs> like it was cool. Yeah. And this was awesome. Yeah. You, um, I love your spirit. Like I love, I've always been attracted to your um, program. Yeah. We don't talk much, but we're, but we're closer yeah, today, yeah, and this definitely. is the way it works. It's happened with a few. You people asked who me come. right at the perfect time, actually, because I had just started to say to myself, "I'm gonna try not saying no to anything in AA anymore." Like a couple <laughs> months ago, literally when a I couple asked months you, ago when you first that, asked me, so and then that? right after, I was like, "Damn it! Now I gotta go do that." What is that? Um, I know it's so funny. I because I I talk the talk, so I I need to walk my walk, you know. So I I do express myself in a way that uh, you know to newcomers or to whoever I, I talk about putting AA first no matter what and trying to stay open-minded and trying to you know not turn down anything that's offered to you in an AA meeting and that is where we met yes you know and it just worked out that way and so I was actually I had been thinking about how you know since I talk like that I better make sure that that's what I'm doing you know what I mean and well, then yeah, you and are. You sure are. Thanks. You yeah, are. Yeah, I, yeah, and you believe that. Yeah. Think about that when your um head goes nutty later mm-hmm. on today or tomorrow, like it will for yeah. me. And it will yeah, for it you. will. <laughs> so try and think about this conversation that we mm-hmm. have. And you are inspirational to me. You're inspirational to my friends in the program, which. Mm. We talk about you behind your back. (laughs) (laughs) It's okay. I hope you understand that that in a good way. I appreciate it. And um, can I ask you about your sister? How's she doing? Uh, My sister's okay. Okay. um, We we actually live together. We share an apartment. Oh, okay. Yeah, and um, she is a social drinker. Oh, okay. And um, I think she drinks more than I ever realized. And on top of that, she does a lot of other things that uh, okay. I didn't know about. So we've lived together for almost two years now. She's a wonderful sister to me, great aunt to my daughter. Um, she's very, um, like I said, different from me. She's very spontaneous. She's creative. She she doesn't, her schedule changes all the time. Like she, she's always planning trips last minute and stuff like that. Like some different, yeah. very, very different from me. But, um, you know, she's great. I, I worry about her a little bit okay. though, you know. Well, I wanted to ask because yeah. that was the fun. I didn't. We yeah. didn't. I just figured I'd put a. If anyone in my family, you know, is ever struggling, which I don't know if she is or not, you know, I can't say for sure. But um, I I just hope that maybe I can be a power of example. Oh, you are. You know. You are. So. And Elena yeah. is a lucky, lucky, blessed young girl. Thank she you. She has a powerful, strong, um, beautiful, wonderful great spirited mother thank you yeah yeah thank you so much for coming in yeah and your parents yeah oh they're great yeah they're they're they're, wow so very strong people too yeah yeah they're they're wonderful wonderful. they are (laughs) so 
Thank you, Andrea. Yeah, thank you so much. All right, we'll see you. Bye, everybody. 